He was a street cop for more than 20 years and faced some of the worst horrors imaginable. He's here to tell his story and how he uses that to help others. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Breakout app is an audio networking platform and social networking app all in one. Breakout lets users listen in on live conversations or be a part of the conversation. Get it free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play. Be sure to follow John J. Wiley, the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and Podcast. Use the profile at LET Radio Show, or you can download the app for free at LET break.com contact us from san diego we have retired phoenix police department police officer chris hoyer on the phone chris thanks so much for being a guest on law enforcement today's show and thanks for your service brother very much appreciated oh uh, no it's my honor it's absolutely my honor thank you this is something we've wanted to make happen for quite a while and and chris is a busy guy and you'll understand why uh, a little bit later on and we just couldn't work it out so the fact that we did it, it's really great because one of the things that we do with this show. The main reason of the show is we want to give a personal ex- perspective and experience of what's like. And one of the tragedies in law enforcement in particular is when you lose friends, when you lose coworkers. They're they're even more than coworkers and friends. They're brothers. And you went through that. I did, yes sir. You went through twenty years as a street cop. And it's safe to say in addition to that you encountered every horror that we talk about. More than I ever thought I would. I mean, it's it was incredible. I never thought that um, by the end of my career I would have faced so much. I mean, not all not all bad stuff. I mean, a ton of adversity. But yeah, you're right. So I think back, Chris. I've been retired a long time. I got hurt and retired young. I was 33. I think back with fond memories of a lot of the people I worked with and a lot of the people in the community. We had such a great time. But you know what crowds my mind when I least want it to are the negative things. They're really overused term traumatic things that pop up and i've accepted with open arms that i'm changed would you say you're changed as a result of all this oh there's no question yeah i mean i came on board i was completely green and you know unfazed and i had no idea i'd end up being a pretty cynical jaded guy by the end of my career which i think is unfortunately pretty common you know so it is it i I even said this i I told another guest that uh, my wife the boss i call her we were supposed to go see Santana and Earth, Wind & Fire in concert at an amphitheater, outdoor concert. We had our own chairs, all that stuff. And I could put on a nice face for a couple hours. But when I've got people around me and it's hot and I've got all this movement and all this noise, eventually that nice goes away and I turn into a guy I don't want to be. Even after all these years. Maybe it's hypervigilance. I don't know what it is. Is that the case with you? 
It, it can be, yeah, depending on, you know, because uh, I spent the weekend out in Phoenix and it was like 116 degrees, no air in my truck, and I was getting pretty pissy, I'm not going to lie. But, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It doesn't take a whole lot for me to get there when it's really, really hot and I'm tired. Uh, and I will, before we go into your story, there's three things I watch out for all the time. And I'm, I tell people I'm an old square. I eat around the same time every day. I go to bed around the same time every night. I wake up around the same time every day. And I try not to get angry and avoid confrontation because all those things affect my mood. And my mood, when it changes, it changes dramatically. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I try to stay mellow most of the time. Um, I, I'm i very happy that I made it out in one piece and now I'm living the best life ever. So it's like, well, ah, you know, what do I really need to worry about? So. Let's talk about the incident that changed your life, and then we'll talk uh, about how it impacted you and what you do about it now. Uh, there's a before and after, and we're talking about your partner, one of your friends, your brother's uh, police officer, David Glasser. He was killed in line of duty, correct? Yeah, he was, yeah. So um, May 18th, 2016, uh, you're, it's a guard variety radio call. I mean, the one we've been on 100 times that week, you know, no big deal, it's a turned to be a suicidal subject and uh, kicked in dad's front door, stole his gun. Um, I've got a copy of the 911 call and I listen to it and I, I play it for my audiences when I, when I do my public speaking venues. But basically the kid was saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to have a seat up with the cops and that's how it's going to be. And of course you've been there, you know what it's like. You're like, okay, yeah. You know, the ones that, that, um, that throw out all these kind of comments and stuff, I usually don't worry about those guys. The ones that are just quiet. Those, yeah. those are the ones I always worry about. The ones who say um, they're going to do all this, it's a lot of talk usually. It's the ones that most, yeah. the quiet yeah, guys most get the time, you. Yeah, you know, they, they see a formidable enemy and they usually cower. But um, sometimes they say it and they mean it. And this guy, he was dedicated. I mean, no no doubt. I mean, it was it was absolutely incredible the way it all went down. Um, so I happen to be on a, on a specialty squad, proactive uh, neighborhood enforcement team. And we get the call. And I'm, it's not even in my area. Uh, my precinct area, but not my my squad area. So I I hop in the hot rod and I shoot down there because I'm the plain clothes guy for the day on my squad, and I'm scouting the house, and uh, I'm out there for 13 minutes by myself watching the house. Right, and I've been doing this job uh, on the net squad for 14 years. I got 18 years on the department, so I've got some time on. So um, not to say I know everything that I need to know, but I mean I'm always learning. But so I mean I know how to do what I'm doing. Get out there watching the house and putting out intel of course and when i finally give the okay for everybody to come on in they, the troops start to rally and it was one of those things where we didn't know where the guy was unfortunately and um when we all started when they all started to roll up uh, the first set of guys blocked street to the north more guys blocked street to the south a couple guys parked on the, on the side of the road and dave glasser makes the decision that hey you know what um to avoid a rolling gunfight I'm going to go ahead and block in the guy's van that happened to be parked in the driveway, which ended up being a fatal mistake as it turned out because the guy happened to be the, the bad guy happened to be sitting in the front seat of the van the whole time. So you can only imagine now knowing what I know, of course, not seeing the guy in the car, the survivor's guilt, which is a whole other oh, yeah. conversation. And, and by the way, so hindsight's twenty twenty. If I could have, should have, would have. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and believe me when I tell you, I've picked this thing apart at least a thousand times trying to figure out what could I have done, what could I have done, where should I have been, did I miss anything, you know, and I'm looking at crime scene photos, and they're, I mean, I, I hate to say it, my son, my boss finally convinced me about, after about two years, he goes, dude, it's not your fault. I said, I know, but 
the fact yeah. of the matter is this, this, and this. Look, people can tell um, me that all day long, Chris, and it, it doesn't. There's a logical side we know all about. The emotional side is different, and it is. Uh, you can tell me, hey. I'm not God. You're not Superman. You did the best you could. I'm still going to pick it apart. I'm still going to figure out what what could have. That, that's part of how we get better at our job. We pick apart what we do. And if you're lucky, and I say that sarcastically, when you're young yeah. rookie police, you'll have senior officers that help critique you, help you get better at what you do, and help you become a better, more polished officer. We're talking with Chris Hoyer. Chris is a very interesting story. He's a retired Phoenix police officer living in San Diego, 20 years as a street cop. And when we return to our conversation, we're going to turn more to the incident where his side partner, his brother officer, was killed in the line of duty and how it impacted him. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. One of the questions I get all the time is how can I show my support for law enforcement? Well, we're all busy. You probably can't go to a protest march. You probably can't go picket somewhere. But there's something very simple you can do with Facebook. When you see a post that you agree with, that you like, share it to your page. It's just that simple. Think of it this way. Facebook has about 2 billion registered users worldwide. So you can make a difference. And one of the best places to find great posts about law enforcement, our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. And when you see posts that you like, you agree with, especially episodes of the radio show and podcast, be sure to share it on your social media. Again, do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. And then show your support by sharing. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There was social media, and then there was social audio. Now the Breakout app combines the best of both. Best of all, the Breakout app is free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play, or you can download for free at www.letbreak.com. Return conversation on the Law Enforcement Today show with Chris Hoyer, retired Phoenix police officer living in San Diego. And when we return, we're going to talk about the incident that killed his brother, law enforcement officer and partner and dramatically affect him. He's also author of the book, When That Day Comes, Training for the Fight. He dedicates his life to helping other first responders, in particular law enforcement officers, deal with these kinds of tragedies. Before we went to break, Chris, you're talking about the incident, and to, to paraphrase it, it sounds like you did everything the right way. Yeah, tactically, you had your partner blocked off the van. No one knew the suspect was in the van, and no one really knew how serious he was at the time, did they? That's absolutely true, yeah. You know, um, and this kid had no priors, as it turned out. He'd never been arrested for anything before, so we kind of thought, okay, well, um, it's probably some, some kid that just wants some attention, right? And that's usually what it is. And we were, we were wrong on le- multiple levels. So basically what happens is, so Dave pulls up in the, the rear of the van and the guy sitting in the front seat, he turns, opens the door and opens fire on Dave and basically, and shoots and kills Dave. And of course, gunfire erupts from the other five officers, uh, out on the scene, I uh, I fired my first volley rounds of about seven to ten rounds out of my rifle, 
And, you know, tactically, I thought I was pretty squared away. I'm a rifle instructor. I've been, been teaching for years. And I made the very first mistake on that scene when instead of staying on target where I needed to be, I came off target. And what do you think happens? The guy started shooting back at me. So side note to that. So Dave got shot at three times and killed. I got shot at three times and survived. So you talk about the compounding survivor's guilt now. It's like, oh, my goodness. I mean, how, how much worse can it get? So and um, the, the really bad part about the whole thing for folks that don't understand the dynamic of what this thing is. Um, four and a half second gunfight. Dave is killed in front of me. I almost get killed because the rounds missed my head by actual centimeters. I could actually hear and feel the rounds going past my head. And then I got to kill this guy. You know, I mean, in four and a half seconds, if that doesn't screw you up, then you're you're probably not okay already, anyways. So we're able to uh, to finally do what we need to do, put the guy down, and um, we ended up securing the scene, of course, as as best we could. They're they're working on Dave across the street and. Um, finally, I get relieved by the SWAT guys after about 12 minutes of sitting up on a, on a patrol car, covering down range and making sure this guy's not going to move, which is another whole story in itself, because this is very important. There's a point of time when I decided that if this guy takes a move or breeze or whatever else, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot him again. And I didn't make that shot. He didn't move. And I knew that I couldn't take that shot for two specific reasons. Number one was because I knew that I'd have to answer to my, to my superiors, they're going to say, well, you knew the guy was already dead. Why'd you shoot him again? Second thing is because I know, and not getting too spiritual on this whole thing, but I know vengeance doesn't belong to me. That's from God. Right. And no, if I take I, the I, shot out of vengeance. I, I get yeah. all of that. And th- here's the thing. I applaud you for even talking about that because most people don't have the nerve. Most people can't put into words. How, how long was the period of time from first shots fired to the end? Uh, to the very end, to when I got relieved, it was probably about 13 minutes. And the actual gunfire between the actual, to start to finish? Yeah, I'd say probably about four to five seconds, maybe. So. Yeah, we're not talking about a long period of time. But in that period no, of time, you had one partner killed. You were in life and death situation, and you wound up having to take a life. Am I correct? That's absolutely correct, yes, sir. Would it be fair to say, and by the way, don't call me sir anymore. I'm not that old. You make me sound so <laughs> But gotcha. <laughs> in those four or five seconds, did your entire life change? Oh, I did my everything. I mean, my whole trajectory of life changed. Uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, of course, I didn't know it at the time because um, I was in a fog for about the next two years trying to navigate through. And then when I finally started coming out of it and realizing, man, I've got to not only do I got to take care of myself, of course, now I feel like I truly have an obligation based on what I now know. I've got to share my story with other folks so they can say, hey, you know what? I love what you said. I don't necessarily think that's going to work for me, but at least it's a starting point for where I can move forward. And that's my goal, just to make other other people as safe as I can, you know? Yeah. One of the things I want people to understand is and it doesn't matter if you're police, military, firefighter, or victim of crime. If you're going through really, really dark days, it can feel like there's no end to this. And so many people opt for permanent solutions when, I'm talking about suicide, when there is a resolution. Things don't get, it's not like life as was before, but you find a way to have a good life in spite of. Would that be a fair way to saying where you're at today? I couldn't agree more, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and I realized that, um, as as tragic as this thing was, a lot of good things came out of it. And because I hate saying it out loud, I really do. But, you know, Dave's not coming back. I can't change that. There's nothing I can do to change that. But if I can stop it from happening again, 
that's what I, that's what I got to do. You know, I mean, what else, what else can I do at this point in time? You know, and if I, if I go and do something, you know, very, uh, you know, life ending, am I going to get to see him the way I need to see him? You know, if I, if I go and kill myself, God forbid, you know, I, I kind of feel like, well, that's a, that's a sin and I'm not going to get to go visit him the way I'm supposed to be. If that makes any sense. I hear you. And I'm not going to ask you this, but so many of us get awfully close and it, I, I tell people it's a act of God and act of Congress. I'm still around, uh, so I, I don't no, want I don't <laughs> I don't want to take advantage of that, and I don't want to throw it out the window and say it was all for nothing. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's absolutely stunningly amazing of the, the types of stories that have come out of this whole thing. Um, I've got one story after another after another, and I've actually called Dave's mom and told her on the phone, and she goes, "I love that you're telling me this." And I hear this kind of stuff all the time, especially about him because of the kind of person that he was. So it's just, it's, it's tragically amazing. You know what I mean? So tell us about what kind of guy he was. You worked with him. You knew him for how long? Yeah. Well, he was on my sister squad. Um, so we, we joked around that they were the JVs cause I was a senior guy in our, uh, not the senior guy, but we we're on the senior squad. And so, um, and I wrote it in the book that, you know, Dave's squad was the tightest squad of all the squads I've ever worked around the tightest squad I've ever seen. These guys were friends on and off duty. They took trips with their families together. And, uh, I mean, secretly I was really envious of that cause I had never seen that before. I'm like, wow, these guys are awesome. And so Dave was kind of the, almost like the epicenter leader type of that group because he was, you know, he was a party guy. He loved going to the, the football games and tailgating and all this kind of great stuff. And, um, he'd invite folks over to have, you know, get togethers to help him do his lawn. Cause he was a big, uh, big lawn guy at his house. And, but the, the really great part about day was crazy, super spiritual. I mean, on, on the best level you can imagine. And, you know, you hear, you hear guys that talk about, you know, this guy was ready to give up his life for his, for his friends, Dave. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but Dave was truly that guy. And I know for a fact that if he was sitting right here, he wouldn't change a thing. He'd be like, yep, nope, I'm ready. And, how he got to that point in his life, I'm still not there. Even after I've been retired, I still can't figure out how you get to that point where you say, yeah, I'm going to give up my two-year-old and my five-year-old at the time and go ahead and, uh, and meet God. And we're going to delve into that a little bit deeper when we return. We're talking with Chris Hoyer. Chris is a retired Phoenix police officer. He's also author of the book, When the Day Comes, Training for the Fight. We're talking about the murder of his partner and brother officer, and how it affects them. Don't go anywhere. I promise you, you don't want to miss what's coming up next. We will be right back. Have you ever wanted to listen to a favorite Law Enforcement Today episode again? Or chat directly with John J. Wiley? Now you can. Download Podopolo for free on either app store and send John J. Wiley a DM right on the app. That's P-O-D-O. P-O-L-O, Podopolo. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com.
This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Return our conversation with Chris Hoyer. Chris is a retired Phoenix police officer uh, living in San Diego now, doing all right. He's also off the book, When the Day Comes, Training for the Fight. 20 years as a street cop and uh, seen all the bad stuff that, that street cops see. But we're talking about the incident where his side partner, his police officer brother, was shot and killed. I want to return to that, and it's difficult. There's still things, Chris, in my life. I tell people my life's an open book, but every chapter, every paragraph isn't for everybody. So when we, this incident, you go to this call, you don't think it's going to be a real deal shootout. No one ever does. And I'll, I'll ask you this question. I thought nothing bad would ever happen to me, and then it did. Did you think, were you shocked that this was actually when it started that was going on? I was, well, here's, I'll tell you a little bit of history about myself. So, um, got hired on 97, graduated in 98, my first shooting in 99, second shooting in 2000, first rifle shooting in 2013. Now, if you, if you pick up on the pieces here, shooting, 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 I didn't know the difference between a shooting and a gunfight. And so when I started shooting that first, that first uh, set of rounds, that first set of bullets, I assumed that like every other time. I put 10 rounds of, of rifle down range, the guy's going to fall. And guess what happens? No. When Murphy, if you're not familiar with Murphy, kicks in and then the guy starts shooting back at me, that's when I went into shock mode. I'm like, wait a second, this has worked every other time. Why isn't that working this time? Especially when you put that much ammo down range, right? Uh, wait, nah, you know, and I, I kind of said it to myself, I'm like, wait, I don't like this anymore. I want to turn and run, but clearly I can't do that. So, you know. The thing for me was when people shot at me, Chris, to be totally honest with you, I was like, you don't even know who I am. I, I can't believe you're doing this to me as a person. It's hard yeah. not to take it personally. Well, um, for the to spare the audience, I, I'll spare the words that I said. But I basically came up that second that second round. I said, "Oh, you want to you want to play? I can play." And then I, I finished him off, which sounds really bad to say it that way. But it was like, look, I'm either going to shot get shot and killed, or I got to put this guy down and and taking all the all the heroics out of it that's exactly what it was. It's like, look, you either, you're either going to kill me or I'm going to kill you. And I've only got, you know, 0.2 of a second to make that decision, you know, and it was not easy. Trust me when I tell you. So I get it. One, one of the things, the last shooting I was involved in, unfortunately everybody lived when it, it I got the realization, this guy's trying to kill me. I, I thought, and it's clear as day today, it was, it was a matter of milliseconds. This guy's trying to kill me. I'm going to die, but it's not going to be tonight. And it won't be because of him. And I'll do whatever it takes to survive. Yep. Amen. <laughs> and people don't seem to understand it. Like, how rude and how rough was that cop? He should never be like that. Well, uh, the only word I can come up with is, is primordial. It's a very primordial response to violence like that that I can't describe and I can't create. You you can't even teach that. You really can't. Until you're there, you won't know. And I and I thought that I knew, and I was dead wrong. I mean, who had. Who had any idea, you know? And uh, I was trained to the hilt. I mean, I was I was as squared away as I could be personally, professionally, but I still lost, you know, on some level. So you're you're exactly right. So this is going to get tough. You you have a bird's eye view. Did you see your partner getting shot? Miraculously, I did not. Which was, you know, I thank God every single day for that because I know one of the other guys that was out there running the scene, he actually did see it happen, and he'll never recover from it. And so that's that's where I'm thankful that, you know, two things that Dave never knew what hit him. Uh, he was, you know, God forbid, but he was dead before he hit the ground. Um, and I didn't have to be a witness to that. So, no, luckily. Thank goodness. And, and the reason I ask that is 
people send me videos all the time, dash cam videos, body cam videos. They want me to, to read it, watch it, whatever it is, and, and send my comments back. And I tell them, I don't watch that stuff because it no, gets me, either. it puts me in an area I don't want to be. And it's a very physiological response. It's not like, oh, I get mildly emotionally upset. No, my heart goes racing. I start sweating. I get the shaky fingers, the sweaty palms, and I can't focus on anything else for a while. So, so I, I agree. Yeah, whoever that other officer was, please tell him my thoughts. And, and if he ever wants to call me, he, he certainly can. But you had your we'll own. You had your own cross to bear for uh, a, a term that really doesn't. It's overused. But when this is over, when did the the severity, the impact of this start to, to really raise its ugly head for you? Um, that's a, that's a really great question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. Um, you know, I think it had to have been probably around the time when I think it was a combination of when we did our tactical debrief, cause we did the regular critical incident stress debrief, which I think is hugely important. But during our TAC debrief, which is pretty much, you know, you leave your emotions at the door and we're going to talk about everything you did right, what you did wrong and what you should have done or what have you, all the, all the, all the finger pointing, if you will. And I think when I realized that nobody else wanted to talk about it, uh, it was one of those things where, yep, I showed up and I fired three rounds next, you know, and that's, that was very, very cold. And I'm going, guys, come on, man, we need to get this out of our system and start talking about stuff. I think that's where it hit me first. And then by, I mean, leaps and bounds, the uh, tie for first place, same thing. It was uh, during the last call at the funeral, which I, I can't even, I can't even watch it on TV with the TV muted because I know what it is. You know, it's like, yeah, no, we're, we're not doing this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, that's look, the worst. There's certain things uh, I can, if you have taps being played somewhere or the 21 gun salute or bagpipes, oh, yeah. amazing grace, all that, forget about it. I am worthless for a while. I'm, I'm the same. I'm a, I'm pretty much a vegetable at that point in time. And, you know, I remember when it was going on and I knew it was coming. My knees started trembling. My, my, my other friend on the scene that was out there had to hold me up because I was, I was just collapsing. You know, I'm like, oh my God, you know. And of you, course, at that time, I was I was still feeling like it was all my fault. But yeah, I'm sorry, that's what I was going to get at. Were you plagued by Survivor's Guilt? You talked about that. I could have, should have done this. Superman, all that other stuff, which I get. This is why we, this is how we get better at what we do. But there's a dangerous area where people become obsessed with it. Did you become obsessed with picking this apart? What I could have done better? What I could have done different? If I did this, he'd still be alive today. I did. I did for quite a while. In fact, my now ex-wife uh, says that still. She's like, you need to let it go. And I'm like, you know, again, four and a half seconds. You, you can't let it go. But what I did do, I think uh, very wisely on my part, when instead of obsessing over it, what I did is I turned it into a training thing where I said, look, um, how can I figure out what I did right, what I did wrong, and make sure that when I when I teach this thing to guys, not only just in a verbal way, but also on the range, and I'm out there going, hey, this is this is exactly what it looked like. What do you guys think we could have done? And even far more important than all that, the, the realization of um, when I was, it's another story, but my boss and I were driving back from the academy one time uh, about a year later, and out of the blue he goes, hey, do you think that when Dave was killed, he stood up and said, I'm going to protect everybody else. And I said, oh, man, you know what? You you could not be more right. And I knew that in my heart, but I hadn't actually said it out loud yet. And that, I think that's exactly what it was. So knowing that Dave protected me was where I said, you know what? I'm not going to obsess about it because Dave made the decision, and I've got to, I've got to take it on board, you know, so. 
That's a tough one to come up with. I, I imagine if someone said it to me right away, my first response might be, be get angry. Yeah, you know, for a while I did go through that. Uh, I will say that I uh, I never I never slipped into the uh, alcoholism or anything else like that or any of the bad stuff that I could have gotten into, but I did have a tremendous amount of anxiety attacks, waking up at 2 in the morning, falling down crying. I'm driving down the street, and I just burst out into tears for no reason. I'm like, what What the hell's going on with me, man? This, this is We're going to examine that more in yeah. depth when we return. This is our conversation with Chris Hoyer, retired police officer, author of the book, When the Day Comes, Training for the Fight. This is a Law Enforcement Today show. We've got so much more to talk about. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Return our conversation with Chris Hoyer. Chris is a retired Phoenix police officer. He's also off the book when the day comes, training for the fight. And we're talking about the incident that had a profound impact on him and many, many others where his side partner, brother officer, was shot and killed. Before he we went to break, you said something very powerful, Chris, that I want to return to. You, you didn't slip into the self-medicating with alcohol, all that sorts of stuff. But you also said something that that resonated very clearly. My now ex-wife. How did your response to this kind of trauma impact your relationship, your your marriage at home? Well, I think that on some level, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that God was testing me, and because I had moved out of my house in uh, October of 2015, and then of course Dave was killed in May of 2016. Um, and so I did have an opportunity to, to talk with her about it clearly because we have kids together and we're still connected. Unfortunately, we're still legally married at the time, but, uh, the fact of the matter is like it or not, uh, she's still part of my life. Uh, even though we don't have any kind of real major contact even back then. But I think that, um, she, she never wanted me to be a cop to start with. And, um, she was, I'm not going to say she was unsupportive of it, but she just, that was not not the kind of life that she wanted to live. And she knew that because of my lifestyle and because of how dedicated I was to, to chasing bad guys and, and stuff like that, she knew a day like this was going to come and she didn't want to face it. Um, I think that had a large impact on how we ended up not being together. And I'll so, be honest with you, I don't blame her. I, uh, look, I signed up to be a cop. My my ex-wife now did not. Absolutely. My, you, children, you more correct. my children who are now in their 30s did not either, but they still pay the price yeah. to some degree or another. You know, that's that's a great, profound point, because I think that a lot of times we're not being selfish. I just don't think that we realize what it's going to do to the rest of the family, you know. And uh, once I think once you realize that, and I, I talk about that, you know, the family's forever, man. Then you need to make sure that they know what's going on, because I'm sure just like your generation, we're told, hey, don't tell your, your loved one what's going on in your life at, at work. Well, they know. <laughs> I promise you they know, because if you're not telling them, um, they're going to find it one way or the other. And what happened with me was her theory was, well, if you're not talking to me, you must be talking to her over there, which wasn't true. 
but it's it's very it's very easy to to say that and point fingers and make accusations, you know. So, well, it's it's fair to say that by the time the fatal shooting of your partner occurred, you'd already been in your fair share of trauma, and we're already feeling the effects. Did that have an impact on how you two related to each other? No, not really, because we were pretty much already on the down slope, anyways, at that point, and it wasn't because um, it really had less to do with my profession and more just our personal lives that we just didn't. We didn't really have the same outlook on life and or our goals uh, and just our simple lifestyle in general. So um, she really could care less that I was out there chasing bad guys and doing whatever else. I was having the time of my life, you know, and she on some level was, and I'm I'm sure I'm going to hear about this later. (laughs) I think she was somewhat envious of the fact that, you know, I get up in the morning and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't wait to get to work, you know, and I was just excited all the time. And I'd come home and I'd say, man, I had a really bad day. But I'm really glad that I did. And she's like, what What kind of sense does that make? I said, it's very simple because it's not the same thing every day. It's something new every single day for us, you know. And it's, sometimes it's bad. But that for me, that balanced me out, you know, as crazy as that sounds. So It, it, it doesn't sound crazy to me. I, I loved being a police officer. I loved every minute of it until I didn't love it anymore. And it didn't. Yeah, you know, yeah. here's the truth, Chris. It never loved me back. Uh, my police department, who I still love to some degree or another, never loved me back. And I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm just saying that's the reality. You know, they've got a job to do. And the minute you hit the door, you're retired. Life goes on. they got to do their job. Well, you know, unfortunately, I tell guys that all the time. And I know that because of the life I'm living now, a lot of my friends that are still there, still in the department, they don't want to hear how great it is. But, you know, I've now got the love of my life, living on the beach, you know, running my own company and I what's mean, not life to love about that? Yeah, I tell people, <laughs> exactly, right? I, look, I work in radio. In addition to this, I'm, I'm a FM music jock. And my boss every now and then go, oh, I'm sorry if I put too much on your plate. I don't want to stress you out. I'm thinking, I told him a couple of times, hey, no one's shooting at me. This isn't life or death. It's not, no one's going to die. It's just radio. And this is right, pretty cool. Exactly. I never thought as a rookie cop, my life would be the way it is today. Never. And the worst days, Chris, I never thought it'd be as good as it is today. God bless you, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. You know it. And whether you want to believe it or not, and I don't always believe it myself, you earned it and you deserve it. So there. Same here. Same with you. Now, you eventually took your experiences and you wrote a book. And it's called When That Day Comes, Training for the Fight. Tell us about your inspiration for the book because there's so much more you do. The book is just part of the tip of the spear, for lack of better words. It is, yeah. You know, I was supposed to meet some friends um, one morning, and for whatever reason, I woke up at about 2 in the morning for no reason whatsoever. Again, just not quite over it yet. And this was about a year year and change after Dave. And uh, pulled out the laptop and started just slamming the keys. And before I knew it, I had over a 1,000 pages of 20 years' worth of stuff down on paper on on some level. Yeah. <laughs> The whole thing clearly was born out of Dave, and we're all the exact same. Every every officer hears the same thing. Hey, man, write down one story every day that you did for your, for your career, which whoever does, nobody. And so it was it was basically 19 years of of stuff that I had to process through, and it, I swear the thing wrote itself. It was absolutely just amazing. Is it fair uh, to say it was a a therapeutic measure for you? Well, my girlfriend Natalie, uh, who I met. After I retired, uh, she did all the editing for me, and she says it better than I ever could. She goes, this book is what saved your life. And I said, you know what, you you could be more right. Because getting it out all on paper, um, the therapy part of it, um, 
I mean, everything about it was exactly what I needed to do. You know, it was very cathartic, of course, and it, it also brought back a lot of good memories, brought back a lot of bad memories, but that was an easy way for me to process through stuff, and I highly encourage guys to do that. Just to and go, you don't have to publish it. You don't have to do anything else except have it on your computer, but write it down and then just process through it all, you know? Here's what I found for me, Chris, and maybe it's the same for you. When I talk... You know, I can minimize stuff. I can justify stuff. I can explain things away. But when I write, it seems to tap into a different part of my brain, and it's a lot harder for me to lie. And and the yeah. the truth comes out. And sometimes it's not it's not really pretty. You can be more right. You know, it's so strange that you say that because that's where I can be honest with myself. And the reason why I did it the way I did it, I did it on the laptop um, because even though I could erase stuff, I knew that if I saved it. Um, for me, it wasn't going to be possible for me to go back and delete anything. You know what I mean? Um, that way it's, it's saved on the computer and it's going to be there forever. And I'm not going to ever, ever, ever delete anything. I could just add to, which made it a little bit more honest for me, if that makes any sense. So. so your combined experience in law enforcement, all the things you went through, the death of your partner, that inspired, you said it earlier, you have your own business. And as part of that business training and helping others to make it through these sorts of things. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, the public speaking stuff I do, um, the tactical stuff that I do, um, and a large part of it is just the um, so in, in short, basically mental, physical, emotional, spiritual survival before, during, and after any kind of critical incident. And that's that's pretty much what it mostly boils down to. I'm glad you brought up several times in this conversation uh, the spiritual aspect, and I, I'm just going to say something. You can agree or disagree. It's fine. That's one of the things that we don't tend to talk about. And I'm not just talking about police or firefighters or EMTs or military combat veterans. If someone doesn't have some sort of spiritual relationship with, for lack of better words, again, a higher power or God or whoever might be, you're going to really struggle. It's going to be much harder. And that's one of the things that helped save my life and help build a new life after. Is that fair for you? I uh, I, I wish I could you know, expand on that more, but you are, you're so dead on. And when you finally realize that, and I touched on it a little bit earlier that, you know, I was, I was searching for something. I thought God was testing me. And I had said for years, I'm like, well, when I get my sign, then I'll start to believe. Well, God's like, well, you want a sign? Here you go. And I got a whole lot more than I bargained for when Dave was killed. And that was my sign. And now I know, <laughs> you know, so. Now the name of your book is when that day comes training for the fight is available wherever books are sold. It's online as well. Do you have a website or web presence? People can look you up and contact you. I do. Yeah. It's unfortunately still in the, uh, the building phase, but I do have uh, trainingforthefight.org is my website. Um, and I'm still, I got, uh, got a couple of people that are helping me build that thing as we speak, but it's, uh, under construction, if you will. Those <laughs> things you'll learn, Chris, are always under construction. You're never going to be satisfied. Uh, are, are you on social media as well? Oh, yeah. I'm all over it. I'm on uh, mostly LinkedIn is my, my go-to, but, of course, Facebook. Uh, I do a little bit of stuff on Instagram. Um, I just recently got on TikTok, but I haven't done a sing- one single thing with that yet. I'm still learning that whole thing. I'm club. not 20 years old, so, you know. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> I, I want to thank you for your story. Thanks for your service, and thanks for being guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Absolutely. No, my honor again. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. 
I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.